0: Church, it's a great opportunity we have now to dive into God's Word. If you're a guest with us, this is the focal point of our gathering, and that's opening God's Word and studying it. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we have been studying the book of Acts. When I say the last couple of weeks, like almost 52 of them. Uh, We've been in Acts for a while. And so today we're going to take a little break from the book of Acts, and we're going to study out of the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. It just so happens that Luke also wrote Acts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of Luke would come first. It would be the story, the history of Jesus' life and his ministry here on earth. And then the book of Acts would be the story, the history of Jesus, the resurrected and reigning Lord Jesus, Acts on earth through his disciples. So, Luke, who wrote Acts is now, we're going to look at his gospel. We're going to look at Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, which you will find in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. And if you're a guest with us and you do not have a Bible, can I invite you to take one of the Bibles on that table? Because it is important for you to have a Bible open for yourself right now and to be looking at the words and studying them. That's what we do in the church We study God's Word. It's a precious time. It's an important time. So grab yourself a Bible. If you do not own one, keep that one. It's our gift to you. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. The Word of God. May it nourish your soul. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the very word of God, friends. Let us be nourished this Palm Sunday, shall we? Luke nineteen twenty-eight. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying... the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that had, they had seen. And they were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Verse 41. and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Lord God, I pray that we would know the time of our visitation. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to the hearts of men and women in this auditorium, this is the day of your visitation. This morning is the day of salvation. Lord, you have come now to us through your word and by your spirit as we're gathered together. Speak to us, Father. Engage hearts. Engage minds. Oh, Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ the strong Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Son of David, Messiah. Amen. The focus of this passage is on peace. Look at verse 38 with me. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And look down in verse 42. Jesus saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. This passage is about peace. We all long for peace, don't we? We we all long for well-being. We all long to just, ah, I mean, everything's going to be all right. That kind of long sigh, peace, peace. Why do you think everybody likes the weekend? Somehow we think peace is hidden in the weekend. We all long for it. But sadly, we only enjoy it momentarily. We kind of find it, but then suddenly it vanishes. Something happens. Someone comes and takes our peace. Conflicts, unemployment, accidents, financial worries, wars, fears of war. Fears of the future, disappointment with the present, guilt about the past, disappointment with ourselves, disappointment with others. We're like these Jews here. Our peace can be so fleeting, it is interrupted so rudely. We turn on the news, we get that phone call, we have that accident, we get that news from the doctor we look at the financial markets and suddenly peace is gone. And much like these Jews here in this narrative, we are looking for peace. We, we want peace. That, they were looking for peace. It, it begs the question, and I think this is the question of this passage, what, what brings Peace. This is the driving question of this passage. What brings peace? What are you thinking about right now? You know, Al, if I just had this, I'd have peace. I mean, it could be something as silly as your email. You know email, right? That wonderful thing that we get. Right now, none of my email syncs on any of my devices. So I have no idea what you've sent me. It's actually a convenient excuse to say, I never got that email. Could actually be true these days. It's driving me crazy. For some reason, the email on my desktop does not match the email on any of my mobile uh, devices. And I usually use the mobile devices in the desktop. And so it just could be something as small as, can my email just work right? Now, we all know that that's a silly one. Although there's a lot to be learned about getting peace in a situation like that. What brings peace when in this world we don't seem to find it? When life doesn't obey our wishes? When, when things are happening that we don't want to happen, or things aren't happening that we want to happen? What brings peace? Does strength bring peace? So, so if I'm strong enough, people will just leave me alone. How strong do you have to be to be truly untouchable? Maybe wealth will bring peace. You know, if I just have enough money, I can have peace of mind. So how much money will buy peace of mind for you? You What's the job that will guarantee you income for the rest of your life so you'll have peace of mind? It doesn't exist. No, no, I don't. Listen, I'll have peace when those relationships in my life are finally right, when I'm finally popular, when everybody likes me and everybody's at peace with me and there's no more conflict in my home or at work or at church or just driving down the road. So can popularity last? Can it keep you from those people that just don't like you? How many friends do you need to have before you finally find peace I'll just buy insurance that's how I'll get my peace I'll have all the right insurance everything accidents, storms, unemployment, illness fraud I'll insure every part of my body but can insurance really keep the hurricane away? can it keep the accident from happening? Can it keep you from getting sick, losing your job, or being defrauded? How much insurance is enough? I know, this is how we get peace. We're just going to legislate peace. We are going to create laws that legislate away everything that is bad. And then we'll have peace. Can laws keep people from breaking them and doing evil? How many laws are enough? See, the question is, what brings peace? We all want peace. We all just want that sense of well-being. Everything's going to be okay. No, it's not, Al. You don't know. And then comes the litany. From my email not working right to something far more serious. I don't have a job anymore. Or I'm sick. Or there's people saying really bad things about me on the internet. What brings peace? That's what the Jews wanted here. They were looking for peace. The Jews here in the first century had lots of unrest. They were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. They were looking for peace, man. They were looking for a Messiah to come, a political Messiah, who would free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire and establish, reestablish Israel's power so that when you're the strongest nation in the world, you've got peace because you're stronger than everybody else, and you'll just kill them if they mess with you. It's one way to get peace. So, so Jesus' triumphal entry in the first century here is seen by them as a time of a political solution that will bring Peace. It was charged with tension and anticipation. Here's the deal. Jesus, upon entering Jerusalem, was very concerned and was very much working very hard to locate their peace in the right place. He was working very hard to correct their misconception of Messiah and how Messiah would bring peace. We'll, we'll look at verse 28. Open those Bibles. Put your finger on verse 28. And when he had said these things, what things? What had Jesus just finished saying? He had just finished teaching them a parable about the ten minas to correct their misunderstanding about the nature of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11 of chapter 19. This is is why he gave that parable that verse 28 references. And as they heard these things, he, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore. So then he takes many verses in chapter 19 to give them a parable to, to properly locate their understanding of peace, to properly adjust their thinking of a Messiah. That's why in verse 28 it says, and when he had said these things. So Jesus is here wanting to to teach them about what is true peace. What brings peace? What is Messiah going to do to bring peace to their lives? And he's adjusting our thinking as well this morning. And that adjustment begins by point one. If we want to start thinking about what brings peace, we've got to think this. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. What brings peace? Well, you have to start thinking about a who. And that's this king who comes in the name of the Lord. Look at verse 29. What we see in verse 29 through verse 34 is a king who is commanding all of creation because he's coming in the name of the Lord. Jesus is seeing things ahead of time and arranging things because he's the king. It's amazing. Verse 29. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where... where where on entering you will find a colt tied. How did Jesus know there would be a colt tied in the village when they enter it? Because he's the king. On which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. Oh, friends, he's the king. He's the king. He sees things. He is ordering creation. And he's telling them to go find a colt that it's tied up in a village. Now, I will grant you this. Because Bethphage and Bethany are on the way up to Jerusalem, they are used to, over the years, of having visitors, pilgrims come to Jerusalem. Every good Jew was called to come to Jerusalem three times a year for the three great feasts. This is the Feast of Passover. So what people would do in these villages, they would tie animals up at certain places, and as you're coming to Jerusalem, you could rent a donkey. Kind of like Miami Beach, you know, you can rent the bicycles... I saw Coconut Grove recently. You can rent these these silly little cars. Okay, so think of it that way. So in Bethany and Bethphage, you've got these sort of rent-a-donkey posts. guess you drop your money in. It's an honor system. But what's different about this cult? What does the text say? No one has ever sat on this one. Oh, friends... An animal like that, where no one has ever sat upon. First of all, you're losing a lot of money, right? Because the way you get money from that animal is you rent them and someone pays you. But this one has never been sat upon. Why? Because it's reserved for a sacred duty or for a king. And Jesus said, you go get that one. Because the king is coming. The king is coming. Is coming. And, and he goes on and he, and he tells them exactly what to tell these people. Verse 31, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And of course, verse 32, they follow his instructions. So those who were sent away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, hey, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Oh, okay. Don't you see? Jesus is, is orchestrating these events. God Himself is orchestrating this. Creation is obeying. Verse 35 and they brought it to the Lord. They brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Oh, friends, when they threw their cloaks on this donkey and they set Jesus on this donkey, they were fulfilling, and Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. They were fulfilling a prophecy in the Old Testament given maybe four or five hundred years earlier in Zechariah 9, 9 that said the following. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a colt the foal of a donkey jesus action here is openly declaring that he is the righteous davidic messiah for the prophecy says your king is coming to you matthew 21 8 tells us you don't need to turn there that the crowd began not only to spread their their cloaks but they started to spread palm branches and wave palm branches hence Palm Sunday, now you might be asking, Al, why is Luke not mentioning palm branches? Well, here's why. Luke was a Greek. He was a physician. He was a historian. Luke is writing to a Greek or Gentile world. They would have understood cloaks as representing, Jesus, we're going to obey your authority. I lay my cloak down so you can ride on it. I'm going to give you the red carpet treatment. They could understand that. But a Jew understood palm branches as symbolizing, very important in Jewish architecture and in Jewish history, palm branches symbolize Jewish nationalism, Jewish victory. They were connected with prominent Jewish military victories. You'll find palm branches as a common motif in Jewish coins and synagogue decoration. Luke doesn't mention them because he's writing to a Gentile audience. And... They're coming down the Mount of Olives. Look at verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. Friends, the Mount of Olives is very rich in eschatological meaning for a Jew. What does eschatological mean? Eschaton, the end. Eschatology, the study of the end. So a Jew who is looking at the end game when Messiah comes back, and restores the kingdom of Israel and boots out these Romans, and that final messianic age, the eschaton, the last days, is inaugurated. The Mount of Olives is key. The Mount of Olives in, in the Old Testament is where Messiah would appear. Did you know that? The Mount of Olives is where Messiah would appear. The Mount of Olives is where Jesus ascended. And do you remember what the two angelic messengers said? Why are you staring up into heaven? This Jesus, whom you saw ascend, will return. And it's assumed to this very place. So you've got the donkey. You've got the Zechariah 9 passage. You've got the cloaks. You've got the palm branches. Buddy, what you have here isn't a a political rally. You've got revolution. You've got insurrection. You've got a coup occurring. You've got people celebrating and dancing and screaming and saying... Amazing things. They're rejoicing. Look what they say in 37b. The whole multitude of this, of his disciples, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. They're rejoicing at Jesus' ministry. They're rejoicing that God has been healing people, that God has been raising the dead, that God has been giving the deaf the ability to to hear and the blind the ability to speak, the lame the ability to walk. Lepers are cleansed. The gospel is preached. That's why they're praising, praising God here in verse 37. The kingdom of God has come. They think it's a political kingdom. They think this is a precursor to Jesus coming in and booting out the Romans. Messiah has come. This is he. And then they say an amazing thing in verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They are quoting from Psalm 118 here. Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm and this is what it says blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord we bless you from the house of the lord so every jew knew that this psalm was the psalm that you would say and the blessing you would give when messiah finally came so why did they start singing this I mean, I can understand them blessing the Lord because he had healed people and the kingdom of God was here, but then they start purposely, God put it in their mouths, to sing this in unison. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Friends, this is a greeting for the deliverer. This is a greeting for the one who brings peace. Now, they thought he was going to bring peace in one way that would be adjusted here shortly. But they have anticipation. They have hope and this greeting and this blessing recognize that the king and his entourage have come. The king has come in the name of the Lord. They were welcoming Jesus as their leader and as the agent of God. Remember, remember this clearly. This happened at the beginning of Passover. Passover was the time that Jews would celebrate when God delivered them from the bondage of Egypt into the freedom of the promised land. So they're thinking, this is perfect. He's going to deliver us from the bondage of Rome and reestablish Israel as a mighty power. And it concludes with these words. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And where else do you remember hearing that? Luke chapter 2 at Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 14 say the following. Luke 2, 10 to 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, and suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude. Think of this whole multitude in the heavens. Praising God and saying, glory to God on the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this multitude has been waiting for 33 years. They sang this at the beginning of Jesus' life on earth. And they're singing it on the last week of his life on earth. Jesus was born to die to bring peace. And that's point two. Jesus is the one who brings peace. Jesus' redemptive purpose was to bring peace. Here's the problem. How would Jesus bring the peace? How would Messiah bring the peace? How is the king going to exert his kingly reign and establish his kingdom? Is it a kingdom of this earth? Is it a political kingdom? Or is it a kingdom of heaven? Is this peace a gift laid up for God's people in heaven. See, Jesus entered the city to bring peace, but not the way the disciples thought he would bring peace. Jesus, this regal figure, Jesus, this kingly figure, is coming to reconcile God with Man and to assert his rule of a heavenly kingdom. The king is entering the city to the people's cries and he will bring peace, but he'll do it to the people's wails, pain, and disappointments. Powerful quote here. As Jesus enters the city, He presents himself as the king who brings the nation's eschatological hope. End times. This is the end game. We've been oppressed all of our life. We've been getting beat up by the bully every day at school. Today is the day of justice. We are duking the bully out. And it's that guy going to do it. Hosanna! Wave the palm branches. Get the band going. Get the confetti. (laughs) Today's the day. A week later, he will be taken outside the city. For in the eyes of the nation, he is a messianic imposter. He did not deliver me. He did not bring peace the way I thought he should bring peace. Kill him. In the eyes of the nation, he is a messianic imposter who must be stopped. The nation will say no, just as Jesus predicted. A donkey now bears him as king. Soon he will bear his own cross, our peace to bring. Oh, friends, Jesus came to bring peace, but not the way the disciples thought or wanted, not in the way that they anticipated. He brought it at the cross. How about you? Are you tempted to celebrate the Savior at one moment and the next moment cry imposter because Jesus, you're not bringing peace the way I anticipated. I'm still sick. I still got fired. Lord, I know I'm right. Make him admit it. Lord, would you make them stop saying those things on the internet about me? Lord, where's Justice. I want peace. I mean, fill in peace. Well-being. Ah, right? I mean, just, let's just be honest. You just want your way. <laughs> right? I mean, I'll be at peace when I finally get my way. Until you get your way and you realize your way probably wasn't the right way. Now you don't have peace because you're guilty that your way wasn't the right way and you manipulate everybody to get your way and no peace. So, so we're yelling at the Savior. We're saying, you're an imposter. And the Lord wants us to hear this morning. I bring peace at the cross. That's not enough, Lord. But I bring peace at the cross. That doesn't resolve the conflict, but I resolve the greatest conflict you will ever have at the cross. You may never ever resolve that conflict. That person may never ever change, but I resolved your conflict with God. God wants us to locate our peace where it should be located. That's in Jesus Christ in John 16:33. Oh, Jesus said these words. He said in John 16:33, "I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world." It didn't look like Jesus had overcome the world when he died on a cross naked, gasping for breath, cursed of God. But that was God's plan. That's how God said Messiah would bring peace, not by throwing the Romans out. Oh, no, no. That's what they were looking for. No, God said, I'm going to bring peace by defeating Satan by crushing the power of sin and death. That's how I'm going to bring peace. He defeated the enemy. He won the victory. Is that enough for you? Is it enough for me? Oh, friend, will you repent And believe. Will you repent and believe and welcome him? Don't be like the Pharisees who rejected him. Look at verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were angry. Maybe they were angry because they thought that the Romans would. Execute vengeance on them because Jesus was portraying himself as a political power. I doubt it. I think they were angry because Jesus said, I am the king. I will bring peace. And they rejected Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says to them. Verse 40. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus responds to them with deep irony. Jesus says, listen. You may not recognize me as the king, but creation does. If these did not sing Psalm 118, the very rocks that we're walking on would begin to sing. The trees would shout. Because it's true. Because I am the king. And then Luke gives us a portrait of God that no one else does. None of the other two synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark, Three Gospels that are very similar, synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. None of the other two uh, record this. Only Luke, and I'm so glad Luke does. Luke gives us this picture of Jesus weeping over the city. Look at verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace but now they are hidden from your eyes. I I want you to imagine, Jesus is asking you the question, what makes for peace? Jesus is saying, what brings peace? And he's saying to the city, to the leaders, oh, I would that you would know what makes for peace, but you don't. And I'm weeping over you because because you don't, because you're going to reject me, you're going to be destroyed. But you know what? We don't see Jesus coming in here like this prophet, hair ablazing, going up to Jerusalem on this colt, on this donkey, as a king, people shouting Hosanna. I mean, this would have been the moment for Jesus to exert his power. He's, he is the political, popular guy right now. He's got all the buzz. He's the man. He could have stood and said, I say to you, Jerusalem, you will be destroyed, and I will bring you. you know, he didn't do that. Read, read what the text says. God weeps. That word wept. It's the Greek word clio. It's not, listen, Jesus didn't sit on this donkey and one little tear kind of slowly came down his eye and sort of this background music is playing, this melancholy music is playing because the city that he loves is going to be destroyed. No, no, that word wept, you know what that looks like? It looks like a man flailing his arms, wailing and sobbing. Snot coming out of his nose. Totally undignified. He, if you would have looked at him, you would have thought, what are you doing, Jesus? Everybody's celebrating you. This is your coronation. This is like the, the political convention. You're our nominee. Why are you crying? Stop being so weird. You're, you're flailing your arms. You're, you're falling on the ground. Jesus is sobbing. God is sobbing. Oh, you who do not understand this, I pray that it will get to you. God cries over the wicked who are lost. Look, there are many pictures of God And his wrath is fierce. That's true. But this is true. And Luke gave it to us. God gave it to us. No one else records it. He weeps. He breaks down. He sobs. He's not sobbing for himself. He's sobbing for a city that will be destroyed. Friends, Jesus is not indifferent to the lost. He's not indifferent to your suffering. He's not indifferent to my suffering. He's a man. He's God. He was tempted as we are. He cares about the lost. Oh friends, he's troubled over the lostness of mankind. Do you see Jesus in this manner? Do you see the do you see the kindness of God? oh, I pray you would, and I pray this goodness and kindness would lead you to repentance. Should we be like Jesus? Should we weep and sob over the lost? Are we sometimes indifferent? Or even worse, shouting judgment upon them? God calls us to weep over our city and the lostness of our city. This is a very lost city. It's Easter. Many in our lost city will traditionally begin to celebrate, guys, the death and resurrection of Christ. I mean, if any week in the year, this is the week you could talk about the death and resurrection of Christ and there's doors open for you. Oh, that God would move my heart, your heart, to weep and wail over the lost. Bentley recently published a blog entitled Preparing for Easter. What is Easter? You should should have gotten it in the informed. It's also on our website. There's some great ideas here for you to be able to engage others with the gospel, with with the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the core of the gospel. There's some great resources. I know some of the families have done what's called the Resurrection Egg Outreach for Children. There's this great resource in our book table, Why Easter? There's this blog. I've also asked Bentley to publish, along with my notes on the web, a breakdown of Holy Week or Passion Week. It's just from the ESV Study Bible. You can get this online. It takes every day. It takes the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John, and it lists what Jesus did every day with the Bible references. Why don't you take that and and take your family through this? Why not do a study? Maybe at work. Maybe in your neighborhood. Friends, Jesus mourns because Jerusalem has missed the nature of the times. Look at verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're just sort of here, massively distracted thinking and doing other things can i just say to you today is the day of your visitation today is the day that god is speaking to you would you pay attention and listen to him because the consequences for not doing that is destruction Jesus is talking about in 33 AD what will happen in 70 AD when Rome will come in and totally destroy Jerusalem. They will totally destroy the temple. There will only be one wall left. It is called the Wailing Wall. That's all that's there. The consequences of not knowing the things that make for peace. Don't miss Jesus' visitation. Don't reject him. Oh, friends, listen to me. Don't reject him. Listen carefully. It says here it was hidden from them. Pray that God show it to you. Do you know the things that make for peace? Don't miss Jesus' visitation. Don't reject him. This is serious imagery. This is serious stuff. The price for missing the Messiah's visitation is the dark visit of an enemy that is horrific. It costs to reject Jesus. Do you know the time of your visitation? Oh, friends, what brings peace? Well, we should change that question. Who brings peace? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus is our peace. If you lack peace, if there is a lack of peace in your life, then can I suggest that it's either for two reasons? A, you are locating your peace in the wrong place, or B, you have missed the visitation of the Lord. Let me speak to A. Friends, if you're like me and you find yourself without peace at times, I found myself, this, this last week has been a fight for faith and a fight for peace every day. I, I'm so grateful for Corey's message two weeks ago when he said the devil's at the door every day. When, when Bentley's message last week was talking about every day I've got to fight for joy because it's on the chopping block every day. And Corey said, the way we fight for it is the gospel. We've been redeemed, we've been set free from what the law could not set us free by. And Bentley said last week, our joy is derived by the gospel. Not our friends, not our family, not our money, not our popularity, not whatever, but it's the gospel. If your peace is not located in Jesus and that location alone, then you will not have peace. Where is your peace located? In whom is it located? If it's located in your own righteousness, I'm telling you, you can't be good enough. If it's located in your friends and your popularity, you cannot be popular enough. If it's located in your strength, whether physical or political, you cannot be strong enough. If it's located in your money, you cannot be rich enough. If it's located in your insurance, you cannot be protected enough. You cannot legislate enough. Emails will get lost. There's some that are still lost for me. It's a silly example, but it works. If I don't have peace because of that, then even that shows you where my peace is located. Where is it located? In Alpino getting his will. It's not about emails. It's about, hey, universe, obey my command. Emails come forth. No, emails come forth. No, emails come forth. Now, freeze the frame. It's silly, isn't it? But it reveals my heart. Because who's God in that scenario? Alpino. Who's going to bring peace in that scenario? Alpino. And who's going to fail every time? Alpino. We have a city of little gods running around trying to impose their will on you. Just drive for 10 seconds. There's no peace there. Jesus exclusively offers peace. Will you receive it? Or will you insist on pursuing your own peace or the world's peace? You can't have both. The world's peace is fraudulent. Your own peace, self-deceptive. But Jesus' peace, Jesus' peace endures forever and ever and ever. Jesus' peace, he he is the prince of peace and of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. Isaiah 9. As we heard during communion, Jesus has made peace with God. He's resolved the greatest conflict we could ever have. And for that, we have peace. He's inaugurated his kingdom. It's a kingdom without end. It's not political. It's God's kingdom. Jesus is the king. He is the prince of peace. His peace passes all understanding. His peace is a peace the world cannot take away. His peace guards our hearts. His peace fills our souls with joy. Let us pray. Worship team, please join me up front. Father, I pray that you would give us peace. Lord, even as I preach this message, there was a mighty battle in my heart to to be firm and to receive peace from you, Lord. Lord, I confess to you that just in my little world, I often locate my peace on how folks respond to, listen to my sermons. It's great, Lord, that you give me a running illustration of where my peace cannot be in the faces of others as I'm preaching this. Thank you. Because Lord, I want my peace to be located in you. My peace to be located in you. Lord God, if there is someone in this auditorium who is not accepting you, they are not recognizing the visitation of the Lord, they are not recognizing that today is the day of salvation, oh Lord, may they do it right now. Lord, would you please speak to their soul? Oh God, if I could, I would just, I'd give it all to them. Lord, I want to weep over that person who's on their way to perdition, on their way to destruction. They don't even know about it. Just laughing, enjoying things, not even paying attention. And Lord, you are speaking to their souls. Oh God, arrest their souls. I want to weep over the loss like you did, Jesus. And not just indifferently pass them on the street and say, oh well, at least I'm going to heaven. Break my heart with the brokenness of this world. I want to be motivated by what motivates you, Jesus. Jesus compassion and lord for those of us who have located our peace in the wrong places as i just alluded to in my life lord would you just speak to us how much is enough how many people are enough how much money is enough how much security is enough how much strength is enough how much popularity is enough oh lord the answer is we can never have enough if it's outside you help us. I pray in Jesus' name. Friends, Jesus is the king. He came into Jerusalem to bring peace by dying on a cross in a way that they didn't anticipate, they didn't necessarily want. But he did not stay dead. He did not. On the third day, he rose from the dead, and Jesus lives, and my peace is located in a risen, reigning Lord Jesus. And I invite you to locate your peace in the same way. To that end, stand with me and let us sing this confession of faith where our peace is located in a risen Savior. Jesus lives. Well, here's the, uh, here's the blessing. Listen, if you are in Christ, this is for you. And if you're not... Oh, may this be the day of visitation for you. You'd recognize it. But friend, if you're in Christ, here it is. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Give you peace. Give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord, the Prince of Peace, be with you all. Amen and amen. God bless you. If you're a guest, I'll say hi to you right through these doors.